0: You're listening to the Financial Literacy Podcast, brought to you by MD Financial Management, Canada's only national financial services firm dedicated to helping physicians and their families with their unique financial needs. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to another episode of the Financial Literacy Podcast. My name is Twi Chow. I am a regional manager for the Alberta South team. And I am so excited to be hosting this episode for you all today. This episode is very special because while all our podcasts are intended for the physician and their families, this one focuses specifically on spouses and partners and their unique experiences as part of physician households. MD understands that life and goals always include the family. And today we're going to talk about how to plan at the family level, even if you don't commingle assets. We're going to talk about how a physician's unusual finances can impact their partner and how a partner's finances can impact the overall plan. And joining us today to share some of their expertise on the subject is Chris Warner. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Hey, Tui. Thanks so much. It's a great pleasure. Uh, I got to say, I'm actually really looking forward to tackling some of these subjects. I know that in other podcast episodes, uh, we've been speaking from them, but Now we're going to talk to the often overlooked perspective of a physician's partner. And of course, I have some bias here uh, as I'm the spouse of a physician myself, but that also means that I know just how important these subjects are. So uh, it seems to me then that our objective for this discussion will be to plant several flags around topics that will give both partner and physician some reassurance and ultimately help to avoid unnecessary stress in the relationship.
0: Yes, that is exactly our goal. Now, just in case we have some listeners who are tuning in for the first time today, let's quickly go over some of the reasons why physicians' finances are so much more different than the average person's.
1: Yeah, for sure. So the most obvious difference that's going to set a physician's finances apart is the amount of debt that they incur during training. And for specialists, it can easily be up in the $300,000 range by the time they're ready to begin practicing. Uh, The nice thing about physician debt, if one can say such a thing with a straight face, is that interest rates on medical debt are usually accrued at some of the lowest available interest rates in the market. And that helps keep debts a bit lower than they could be. Uh, And then once a physician's in practice, they'll typically expect a much higher income compared to many other professions. I think a a StatsCan study in 2019 said the median Canadian personal income was $38,300 before tax. Uh, But in contrast, our data shows that the average Canadian family practitioner, uh, GP, is billing around $300,000 gross per year. So these two things, lower interest debt, higher expected income, they combine to make it easier for physicians to pay off their large amounts of debt, and they leave room for saving opportunities and to meet other personal goals.
0: Personal goals like retirement?
1: It will, exactly. Yeah, we we can't work forever, uh, though I've known many physicians who certainly make that attempt. Uh, This brings us probably to a really important way that physician finances differ from the average Canadian, and that's that doctors usually have to fund their own retirements. Pensions are very rare in the physician space, and that means that physician families will need to start saving much earlier, often at the same time as when they're still trying to pay down student debt. Uh, there's also the potential of taking it on extra expenses and practice, uh, specifically costs around building a business and incorporation. Uh, let's double back to that later. For now, the main thing to remember is that a physician's financial journey, it's unique, it's evolving. And as partners, we're impacted by all of this too. Medical debt can impact our ability to borrow. Uh, partners can be named as shareholders of medical professional corporations. And in many cases, in fact, probably most cases, we're in charge of managing all this. So to every physician spouse or partner who's listening to this, uh, that's what we're here to help you with today. We want to let you know that you're certainly not alone. We want to give you some tips for planning and what to expect, and we want to remind you that we, MD, can work with you directly. We work with spouses and partners all the time, even when the physician is not, or not yet, a client.
0: Right. I think a journey is a great way to put it, Chris. So let's go through some of the common stages of a physician's journey and what partners can expect to take on at each of those stages.
1: Sure. Yeah. Understanding what to expect certainly helps make it easier to endure. So I guess the best place to start is early career, and that's medical school, residency, uh, and possibly a fellowship. If you're the partner of a physician, these are the years that you will be leaned on most heavily. Early career physicians will usually have student loans or line of credit debt. Uh, In residency, while they will be earning some income, it's fairly meager comparatively to what their practice income will be, and it's very unlikely that it will cover all or even most of household expenses. So this means that partners will be covering the majority of the expenses or the partnership will be financing both their livelihoods on debt. Some partners with higher income might pay tuition expenses while the partner's in training. Others might keep debt and assets completely separate. And there are pros and cons to both. What you do is really ultimately up to decide based on our individual values. Uh, Keep in mind, though, one's marital situation, whether you're married or you're common law, uh, these can have different implications throughout the country. Uh, I suppose that brings us to the next stage of the journey then, Uh, Once medical training is over and practice is beginning, here we might quickly experience an increase in household income. However, that doesn't necessarily translate to an increase in available income or disposable cash flow. It's possible that a lot of the billings will be held inside a corporation or used for business expenses or directed to paying down debt. Uh, If the physician plans to start their own practice or buy into a joint venture, that will likely also be done on debt. Uh, And one other complicating factor is that physicians don't usually get paid leave. So if they need time off, say for a vacation or parental leave, uh, well, then there's usually a halt in income. So I think we can see the many contributing factors that already lead to higher level of debts well into practice. And I believe I read on average that a physician will spend the first eight years or so of their career paying off their student loans. And that's a lot, especially when you consider that just getting into practice will take at least 10 years of post-secondary. So now let's go into the less practical stage. The physician's more settled. They're in practice. They're earning solid income. This is the point where a household may want to adjust who's responsible for which expenses and who takes advantage of particular programs. For example, the higher income earner could be best positioned to invest in retirement savings plans so that they get the larger tax refund. Uh, The lower earner might be able to use their income towards shared goals. There's also opportunities for income splitting, and and all of these scenarios can lead to tax benefits or considerations. Uh, Back on the topic of debt for a moment, there should be a plan to get this paid down, and most families in practice will probably have already made some progress with this. But to touch on what I said earlier, most medical debt is accrued at a low interest rate, which usually means one doesn't have to be incredibly aggressive in paying it down. And actually, it could be a disadvantage uh, for someone in practice to ignore higher yielding saving strategies like RRSPs or retaining funds in the medical corporation. Uh, Again, I know firsthand that after taking so long just to get to working years, it's hard to start thinking about retirement, but it will be here sooner than we think. So, Overall, we know that taking on this much financial responsibility uh, for physicians, for partners, it can be overwhelming. And this is true for spouses and partners because they're also going to have their own challenges likely to work through. But there are lifelines, though. I definitely recommend talking to a financial advisor as early as possible.
0: Yes, especially an MD advisor who will be very familiar with the physician experience and how the spouse is a key player whether they co-mingle assets or not.
1: Totally. And I have a little bias here, but I do think MD advisors could be extremely helpful, even if you yourself are not a physician. Uh, you know, Over 52 years, MDs helped guide thousands of physician families through lifetimes of practice. So even for non-physicians, they can help educate and guide us to balance our unusual finances so that we can meet both our goals and the goals that we share with our partner. It's a real asset to have someone who's there for you every step of the way. Uh, And as your circumstances and your goals will change and evolve, your advisor will be able to evolve and change your plan to keep you on track.
0: I couldn't agree more, Chris. But what would you say to someone who thinks that maybe taking on all the debt from their partner is just too much for them and would rather keep their finances separate?
1: I feel like you're talking about me in the third person. Very clever tweet. Um, There's nothing wrong with wanting to keep things separate, whether it's assets or or debt. Uh, In fact, there are sometimes advantages to doing this. For example, a partner may earn a higher return investing their money, paying off their partner's low interest, potentially tax-deductible debt. Uh, They could also generate tax deductions from contributing to their own RSPs if it made sense to do so, or even a spousal RSP. Things like this, there are lots of reasons to keep things separate, including tax and legal and estate implications. Uh, But having said that, I should emphasize that there are also potential advantages to joining finances.
0: Advantages to taking on six-figure debt?
1: (laughs) Point taken. Uh, But yes, uh, consider if the family is debt averse and debt just causes them stress or if they want to increase borrowing power at the household level for future purchases. I don't think anyone sees houses getting cheaper anytime soon. Uh, So joining finances with your partner could be a good idea. Uh, And just for example, when financial institutions see that despite large amounts of debt, you're able to keep on top and stay on top of your monthly minimums, your interest payments, it reassures those institutions that you could be trusted with other loans. And you know your, your credit score is going to tell a compelling story about your level of responsibility. And then financial institutions familiar with physician finances, and, and more importantly, their projected incomes, they're more willing to look past the debt you have now uh, and continue to lend, knowing that given time, you'll be able to repay. And that makes applying for things like a mortgage much easier.
0: Right. That's another important point MD wants their clients to remember. Your goals are important and we know how to ensure that the complexities of being in a relationship with a physician don't hold you back from achieving them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And again, that's where talking to an advisor can help you set and establish goals and then work with you individually and or as a family to get you there.
0: And for physicians, there are benefits to being strategic because they and other members of their households have unique options and opportunities It's not really simple as putting some funds away into a savings account every month, right?
1: No, it isn't. Uh, Because physicians have a lot of financial obligations at the same time. And like I mentioned earlier, they mostly have to fund their own retirements, which means starting to save early, often while paying down debt. Uh, And if they decide to start up their own practice or join one, there are usually a lot of expenses involved that may distract from saving not to mention all the regular household expenses that everyone needs to stay on top of. Um, So at MD, we found in our research that spouses frequently handle the majority of the finances, not only for the family, but for the medical corporations. And in fact, many spouses then work for the corporation as employees and are named shareholders. uh, And this will have tax consequences that need to be planned for. This can even be an opportunity, though, to split income and plan for retirement together potentially more effectively than either party could do individually. And there are quite a number of strategies that could help you get started on your savings goals. Again, for example, spousal RSP.
0: Is a spousal RSP different from a regular RSP?
1: Yes, though they essentially serve the same purpose. The main difference and why it's great for physicians is that the higher earning spouse is making the contributions. And the low-earning spouse fills their savings and will be the one to withdraw the funds in retirement. So spousal RSPs are thus a great tool for income splitting. I don't mean right now with take-home income, but rather in retirement income splitting. Just for background, normally you can split up to 50% of your eligible pension income with your spouse in retirement. But with a spousal RSP, you can split more, and that gives you more control later on, which can help you control future taxes. Perhaps even more importantly than that, there is an immediate benefit saving in the spousal RSP. The higher earning contributor gets a tax refund for their contributions, which in this case will be at their higher marginal tax rate than the lower earning spouse. So they get the bigger refund and they can generate more savings each year for the family. Uh, Quick caveat, I would keep in mind that RSP contribution room can only be built up through earned income, so like a salary. Uh, if a physician's incorporated and they're only paying themselves in dividends, they're not going to be accruing RSP room uh, normally, but their non-physician partner could contribute to a spousal RSP for them. And this may still be true for incorporated physicians paying themselves low salaries to save on taxes, uh, in which case, again, their non-physician partner would be the higher earner from a tax perspective and so should be making the RSP contributions.
0: That sounds like a great strategy. And that also leads into another major saving strategy, which you just mentioned, incorporating.
1: Yes, that is a big topic. Uh, The main reason physicians choose to incorporate is because of the tax saving opportunities. And usually those are tax deferral or income splitting or both. I should say that incorporating won't make sense for all physicians. And timing is a key factor in that. Uh, hitting again on a common trope today, definitely talk to a financial advisor and probably an accountant before jumping into a corporation. Though incorporation can be incredibly effective for many physician families, for some, it could also be quite expensive for no benefit.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit about how that works, because some of our spouse listeners might not be familiar with what incorporating is and how it can affect them.
1: For sure. So first, in order to incorporate, you have to be a self-employed practicing physician, not necessarily fee for service, but operating like a contractor, which CRA has specific conditions in their contract definition. Uh, What incorporating does is it creates a legal entity that owns the medical practice, and it puts the physician as an employee and a shareholder of that entity. Now, this benefits physicians because it allows them to hold any surplus of their income inside the corporation, where most or all of it can be taxed at the smaller business tax rate. The small business rate is usually much lower than what our personal tax rates are, because later on, the money will eventually need to come out of the corporation at normal personal tax rates. But the longer one can defer those withdrawals, more potential compounding and more potential growth and money you'll have in the long run. So meanwhile, keeping money in the corporation could also lower household taxable income, which also then lowers personal taxes. Interestingly, a spouse can be a shareholder or an employee of the medical corporation, and there are pros and cons to this, but one potential pro to highlight would be income splitting. And this is where the higher earning position partner uses the corporation to attribute or or characterize or move the income to the lower earning partner. And that way their total tax rate, the two of them combined is averaged down. Again, this saves them more money each year. So to do this correctly, it's a bit of an art. Uh, so I would make sure I was consulting with an accountant before embarking on this strategy.
0: Great. So it seems like a physician and their spouse can really benefit the most when they are working together as a team to take advantage of all of these opportunities.
1: Yeah, it's like any relationship. There are tools, there are more tools available in the planning toolbox when you're working as a team. Uh, You have to support and trust each other to have full access to that toolbox. Uh, Trust and support, they're really key to ensure that both partners will be successful with their goals, especially when it comes to finances.
0: That's a great point. And we've been talking about what having a physician as a spouse can mean for your finances. But we haven't really talked about how those financial aspects can affect the relationship between a physician and their partner. Now, neither of us are relationship coaches or experts. But are there any patterns you've noticed or tips for maintaining healthy conversations around finances?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like like you said, I'm not here to give anyone marriage advice, but there are things that I think are important to keep in mind that can help physicians and their partners avoid straining relationships over finances. So the first thing, Tui, you already mentioned, remember that it's a conversation. Communication is key to any aspect of a relationship, but when it comes to talking about finances, it truly helps to be completely open and transparent. We probably have to work to get comfortable talking about difficult subjects like debt so that we aren't blindsiding one another with otherwise foreseeable issues. And I don't just mean that we disclose everything we're doing or we're planning. We also need to reasonably understand everything our partner is doing that will likely impact us. So, of course, as we know, communication is a two way street. Earlier, we talked about whether to keep our finances separate. Lots of people have their own individual checking account or credit cards for their personal spending. But I think the important thing is that your partner knows about it, especially if you're working towards shared goals like buying a home or retiring together. Your partner probably deserves to know if any aspect of your finances could be affecting those goals. One interesting thing to think about, too, is there's the issue of ego and self identity. We touched a little bit on when your partner is a physician you're likely going to see some flip-flopping, that's the technical term, between which of you is the primary earner. The physician is likely going to be dependent on their partner while they're training and while they're starting a practice. And then once they're more established in their practice, there's very likely to be a role reversal uh, as they increase their income substantially. So this might change the dynamics of who manages the finances, or which person the financial institutions will primarily attempt to deal with. And partners in this situation really need to be proactively aware and understanding of the fact that they each have an important role to play. And those roles evolve. Remember, we're still on the same team. We're still working towards the same goals. And it's immensely helpful to let go of ego and stay focused on those same goals. And really, it's all about being open with yourself, with your partner, with your advisor, uh, it shocked me to see in a study that came out this year by FP Canada, and it said that two in five Canadians listed money as their biggest concern, and then a further one in three say that money concerns have led to health problems. So we can see how relieving financial stress will likely alleviate a lot of other sources of potential stress, and having open conversations is the best way to do that.
0: Very true. Now, I think we're just about ready to bring today's episode to a close. But before we go, are there any final notes you want to leave about how to get involved in finances as the partner of a physician?
1: For sure. I think the main takeaway I want to leave spouses and partners with is something positive. uh, To every one of you who has a physician partner, I know that this will bring all sorts of financial challenges, but None of these challenges are likely to mean that we have to sacrifice other life goals for fear that we might not be able to afford them. I mean, yes, there are lots of hurdles to climb, but modern financial institutions do understand the demand and the constraints that come with pursuing a career in medicine. And as such, they want to work with doctors and with us, their families, to make sure that all of the goals that we have are attainable. We've really only scratched the surface, but there are a myriad of strategies and specialized programs to help realize our goals. Because ultimately, over time, the income to achieve these goals is going to be realized. And if we want to get there quicker, it pays for the partners to be involved. Proper planning, open communication with your partner, and the help of a professional advisor. Uh, These are the best ways to ensure that our goals remain within reach. And that's what companies like MD are here for.
0: Awesome, Chris. Thank you so much for joining us today and exploring the world of physicians' finances from a new perspective.
1: Uh, thank you, Twee. Uh, I really enjoyed this, and I feel we covered a lot of useful information to help our listeners.
0: Oh, I have no doubt. And speaking of our listeners, thank you all for tuning in today. Like we said at the top of the episode, MD is dedicated to meeting the financial needs of not only physicians themselves, but their families as well. So whether you are a physician or have a loved one who is, we hope that you will join us again next time when we tackle retirement readiness for physicians. Once again, my name is Tui Chow, and it's been a pleasure hosting you today. Goodbye for now. This has been the Financial Literacy Podcast brought to you by MD Financial Management. For more information or to speak to an advisor today, visit our website at md.ca.